0: Well, it's good to start the new year out with you guys and a special welcome to all of our growing um, online family there and all those faithful folks that are tuning in every single Sunday at, at 11 o'clock. So uh, it's good to be with everybody. Hey, you know, one of the things that I noticed over this Christmas holiday is, is that there are a lot of misconceptions around Christmas, there are a lot of misconceptions around Christmas, and I thought I would take the time to try and clear up a couple of those, all right? And so um, I believe that a lot of that has to do with um, just man-made traditions. If you look around the world, there are lots of different traditions surrounding Christmas, and, and then we take those and we make them our own as well. And so um, for one, uh, should you give gifts at christmas time and if so how many should you give gifts and if so how many like i know some people like like in our house growing up my mom went crazy at, at christmas and she would buy so many gifts we would fill up the entire family room it was such a spectacle like friends and neighbors would come over just to witness this it was it was something to see all these gifts and so you've got some folks like that we knew other people that that just gave a few gifts to one another and then still, um, I knew some folks that would only get three gifts. Three gifts in keeping with the gifts of the Magi or the wise men. So should you be giving gifts? And if so, how many? Or, or how about this? When should you open the gifts? When should you open the gifts? In our family, in our personal tradition, we get to open one gift on Christmas Eve. And that typically has something to do with pajamas. All right? Like that's just... <laughs> And Carolyn instituted that tradition, and I follow it. The uh, you know so you got to look at those things. And then on Christmas morning, we open up the rest of the gifts. That's that's kind of our family tradition. In our son Andrew's family, so he married a woman from Germany, and Julia and her European tradition, they open all their gifts on Christmas Eve. That's their European tradition. Or um, some people open one gift a day for 12 days, beginning on December 25th. And so for 12 days, they open up one gift. You guys have heard maybe of the 12 days of Christmas, and so it corresponds to that. And then other people, like our our friends in um, South America, like the Dominican Republic, our, our friend Dio, so they open all their gifts on January 6th. So yesterday... They all got together and they opened gifts. It's known as Three King's Day or Epiphany. And so it's it, it's connected with a celebration of the coming of the Magi or the the wise men as we know them. And so there are different traditions. What's right? What's wrong? Does it matter? I just thought I'd bring it up and just try and stir some stuff up. You know, like, like if, you're, if you've gotten married, you know, like your, your traditions clash, right? You got to figure out what is it that we're going to do? What is it that we believe? And for me, I think it's important that um, we recognize these, these man-made traditions, a lot of them happen to be, they're not necessarily bad. They're, there's nothing wrong with them as long as they don't overshadow or conflict with biblical truth, okay? As long as they don't conflict... Or overshadow biblical truth. So this morning, I want us to examine a couple of of, of these things. Um, we're gonna do that, and then we're gonna spend most of our time in Matthew chapter two. But the first first question I want to throw out there is: Why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? I don't know. Like, I got no answer, really. Now, I can give you a couple of reasons why different people celebrate on the 25th. Um, do you know that the Bible doesn't say that Jesus was born on December 25th? So why? Why did we pick that? Then I started doing some research, and, and here's something else that I found. It wasn't until the year 336, the year 336 that people even celebrated the birth of Jesus at all. It wasn't until the Roman Emperor Constantine became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that he instituted this state holiday celebrating the birth of Jesus. So 336 years. Why December 25th? So um, I found it interesting. Some believe, so remember, Mary was visited by the archangel Gabriel, and and Gabriel came, and he said to her that you are going to conceive, and you are going to give birth to a child, a son, and he is going to be the one and only son of God. And if you look at the timing of that, it's believed to be in March, and some have said that it was on March 25th that the angel appeared to Mary and made this announcement. And so then if you add nine months to that date, what do you come up with? December 25th. So that's one of the the reasons some people believe that we should celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. There are other thoughts on it. Um, Some believe that it should be celebrated at the beginning of the winter solstice. So... um, (laughs) December 25th is right there at the beginning of the winter solstice. That's when the days start getting longer, right? And so there is more light coming into the world. And so then they tie that into Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And so if we're going to celebrate his birthday, even though we don't know the exact date, it makes sense that we would celebrate it during the winter solstice as more and more light is coming into the world. And so that's another reason why people believe that we landed on December 25th. Now, there are other Christians out there. Orthodox churches don't celebrate on December 25th at all. They actually celebrate today on January 7th. And so who's right? Who's wrong? And does it really matter? It's worth thinking about. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time in in Matthew chapter 2. And um, this is going to, I think, be helpful, and it's going to really address some of these misconceptions that we've had over the years. So beginning in verse 1, "...after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "'Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews?' We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So I want to pause there for a moment. And I want us to consider who are the Magi? Who are the Magi? And Sutton helped me with this. So um, some of you guys may be familiar with the Strong's Concordance. The Strong's Concordance. And it is an unabridged index of every single word in the Bible. And so if you really want to do a study, you you go to a word and then you look it up there and it will give you the original word in its original language, so Hebrew or Greek. And it will tell you everywhere in the Bible that that word is used and it will give you the definition of it. And so it's a really handy tool. And so the word for magi that we find there is Greek and it's magos, magos. And here's what it means. It means an oriental astrologer a sorcerer, magician, or wizard. Kind of like Harry Potter, right? You know, so that's what they're saying. These are the magi. They are these sorcerers. They, They, contrary to popular belief, were not kings. They were not kings, but they were king seekers and king makers. See, they would watch the stars. They were astrologers and astronomers watching the stars. And we we see that um, these men that were highly esteemed, known as wise men, that um, they were from a place called Persia, which in modern day we know as Iran. They were from Iran. So these magi probably were not followers of the one true God, the the God that the the Jews worship. Um, They were pagans. They they worshiped and believed in many gods. And so they were always seeking these new kings and these new kingdoms, and they would watch the stars. And it was they who were among the first to recognize that there was a new light or star in the sky to the west that marked a new king a new kingdom that has come, this new king of the Jews. And so they were the first to recognize that. Now, here are some other things, some um, things that we have come to, to believe, perhaps, about the Magi. One, again, that we've, we've gotten wrong, they, they were not kings. So that whole three kings, they got it all wrong. Yeah, all right, we got to change that. The, um, secondly, we don't know that there were three of them. If you look here, it doesn't say that there were three magi. How do we get three? Because of the number of gifts that they brought. And so we just discern from there, three gifts, there must have been three magi. So that makes sense. Probably true. Some other things that we can discern. Um, More than likely, they didn't just come, the three of them, they probably came with an entourage, Right. There was probably a crowd with them. These were wise men. They probably had servants. And to make this long, long journey, they would have had probably camels to help carry some of the supplies, animals with them you know, that they would eat along the way. So it must have been some kind of scene as they all make their way into Jerusalem to have this meeting with King Herod. Everybody must have been talking. Everybody was probably watching. So let's pick up at verse 3 and see what transpired. It said when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Now, the the prophet that he's referring to here is the prophet Micah. Micah, and if you go to Micah chapter 5 and look at verses 2 and 4, you're going to see this prophecy, and that's what's being referred to here. He goes on and refers to it, and he says, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. So Herod was the appointed Roman king over the Jews and over the nation of Israel. And so it makes sense that he would feel threatened when he hears about this newborn king of the Jews who's supposed to be the Messiah or their Savior. He would naturally feel threatened by this newborn king. Now, Herod was no dummy either. And so he, he was pretty sharp. And one of the things he did was he gathered together the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, and he brought them all there. And, and he asked them, tell me, tell me about this, this Messiah of yours. What is predicted about him? I'd like to learn more about him. And so they shared all these things with him. And then he secretly had a meeting with the Magi. He says, so exactly when, exactly when did you see that star? Exactly when was this king born? See, he, he was no, no dummy. And then he told him, he, he's like, well, Go. You know, you guys go ahead, and and when you find him, send word to me, because I want to come and I want to worship him. But that wasn't his plan at all, was it? What did he want to do? He wanted to kill him. He wanted to kill him because he felt threatened. His kingship was threatened by this newborn king. Now, um, notice also that Herod asked him specifically about when this star or this light in the sky appeared. Because he he was a wise man. He knew that it would take some time, some considerable time, weeks, maybe even months, for those magi to make their way from Iran all the way to Jerusalem. So he was trying to pinpoint the time that the baby was born so that he would know how old the child was at this point in time. So um, how long did it take? How old was Jesus when the magi arrived? Hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to that. Look at verse 9. It said, After they had heard the king, they went on their way. These are the magi. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So again, I want to resolve some, some misnomers out there. When the Magi came, did they come to a stable? Did they find a baby in a manger? No. It says they came to a house and they found a child, not an infant, not a newborn. They found a child in a house with his mother and they bowed down and they worshiped him. They bowed down and he, they worshipped him, so I think that's that's critical. Look at um, verse twelve. Oh no, verse the second part of eleven. It says, "Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is where we get this idea and this practice, this tradition, of giving gifts at Christmas. Of giving gifts at Christmas." The Magi brought, and they gave gifts. And that's why we oftentimes bring and give gifts. Now, I'm not going to get into the significance of these three specific gifts other than to say this, that these were gifts worthy of a king. They were gifts worthy of a king. Now look at verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Again, remember, these guys were more than likely pagans. That means they worshiped many different gods. They didn't um, worship the one true God. And yet, we see how God used them. God used them. And he also protected them. He spoke to them in a dream and said, don't go back. Don't go back the way you came. Don't go back to Herod. Go back another way. Just quietly make your way. God was watching out for them. And then verse 13, we we begin to see why. It said, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Verse 14, So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, um, I think this is important to recognize here too. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell the story of Jesus' life. But they all tell the story from four different perspectives. And they're all writing to a different audience. Matthew's primary audience that he's writing to are Jewish People And so it was really important for him to quote the Old Testament prophecies to show the people how Jesus had fulfilled all of these Old Testament prophecies about the coming King, the Messiah, the Savior. And so he was helping them to see how Jesus was the one that they had been longing for and looking for. And he goes on in verse 15, when Herod realized that He had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old, two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah, so another prophet was fulfilled. Listen to this. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Here's where we get a good indication about how old Jesus was when the Magi came. Based on this, I would estimate that Jesus was between 12 and 18 months. He was probably between 12 and 18 months of age. And here's why. When Herod's giving this order, He says, I want you to go and kill all the boys in Bethlehem and the vicinity that are how old? Two and under. Two and under. Right? So it makes sense that Jesus was probably somewhere in in the range of of 12 to 18 months. He probably wasn't two because Herod was a smart guy. He, He would want to... Um, you know, take into consideration some margin of error. You know, maybe when the, the Magi saw that light, maybe maybe they didn't get it exactly right. So that he wanted to have some margin of error. So he probably set the, the timeline at two years old. That would make Jesus somewhat, you know, younger than two. And so I believe Jesus must have been a year, year and a half old based on this scripture. Now, I want us to look at a modern-day nativity scene and see why we have some of these misconceptions, I I think. Here's a typical one. Um, Some of you guys probably have one like this. This is made of olive wood from the Holy Land. This is really sweet and special. And and yours probably looks like this, maybe that Miami, you know, scene with the, the palm tree, I don't know. And it's got this barn, right? It has this barn. Well, this would not be accurate. See, this is configured after our our image of of a barn, right, in the Western context. We think of barns as wooden structures that look like this, right? Well, that's not the case in Bethlehem. Some of you guys have been to Bethlehem with us, and we've gone over there, and you can attest to the fact there aren't trees in Bethlehem. There aren't many trees there. Things are not constructed of wood there. What you would find typically for a dwelling place would be more of a cave. It would be a cave. And typically in that cave, you would have a place where the the family would live and stay and also a place there where the animals would also stay. So this should be more of a cave-like structure, not a typical wooden barn structure. So if you have a nativity scene like this, burn it. All right, it's wrong. Just get rid of it. We might have a bonfire here, like a nativity burn pile. I don't know. But uh, anyhow, so we've grown up with that, right? So we have this misconception of, of what this barn was like. Here's another thing that we've typically had a misconception of. In most of our nativity scenes, the wise men are in it, right? You've got the wise men. They wouldn't have been there. Your wise men should not be in your nativity scene. But I do think it's good to have them in the room. So... Just put them somewhere far off, right? Remember the wise men. They had an important role, but they were not in the nativity scene. They were not there when baby Jesus was laying in a manger. Set them apart, okay? Have I cleared up everything with regard to the? So here's the point. What difference does it make? Does it, does it matter if we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th or January 7th, does it matter when exactly the Magi made it to see and and worship baby Jesus? I I don't know that it is all that significant. But here's what I do believe. I, I think what is important is that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And not only that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, But we understand the significance of the birth of Jesus and what difference does his birth make in our lives and the lives of others. I think it's important that we look at human tradition and we look at it in lieu of biblical truth. And and human tradition is okay as long as it doesn't overshadow or conflict with biblical truth. Some people get all worked up about this stuff. They, they abandon celebrating Christmas completely because they discovered that Jesus wasn't really born on December 25th. Don't do that. I don't think that's the point. Celebrate the birth of Jesus. Know why that is important to you and to others. And here's the, the bigger thing. I think you need to bring the most precious gift you have to him, and that would be the gift of your life. I think that is what's critical. As we look at some of these misconceptions surrounding Christmas, we need to understand why it's important that Jesus was born, what difference does that make in our lives, and what gift are we offering him? And ideally, and ultimately, it should be the most precious gift we have, our very lives. There's one more misconception that I want to address. And most of you guys have probably never even considered this, and, and I may stir up some thoughts and, and some disagreement on this, and that's okay. I love stirring some stuff up. But the, uh, if I've missed anything from a biblical standpoint, um, I want you to confront me on that, okay? I want to be biblically true. Don't confront me now. Like, do it sometime later in private. But, but I want to make sure that we are biblically accurate in what we say and what we do. Don't you? Like, don't you want to know what you believe and why you believe based on the Bible and not just some tradition that's been handed down to you? I think that's important to us. But, but here's, here's the misconception that I think most of us have. I believe most of us think we're more like Jesus when in reality, we're more like King Herod. I, I, I think we'd like to think we're more like Jesus, but in reality, we're probably more like King Herod because I think all of us honestly feel threatened by Jesus. We feel threatened by his kingship. See, we feel threatened that if we truly allow him to be the king of our lives, it might get uncomfortable. We feel threatened because he he might ask us to do some things that we don't really want to do. We feel threatened because if he's the king of our lives, then it's his will and his ways that went out over our will and our ways. We feel threatened because we want to be the king. We want to be the king of our own lives. And Jesus threatens that. Jesus threatens that. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're more like King Herod than we're like Jesus. And so as we enter into a, a time of prayer, I, I want you to really honestly search your soul for that. Search your mind and your heart. Is that true? Where, where are your fears? What, what fears keep you from completely surrendering to the kingship of Jesus? And then, you know, just just go to him and confess that to him and and ask him to help you to lay down those fears, to lay down those fears that you can completely, wholeheartedly follow him as your king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I I thank you for an opportunity just to explore some things that um, maybe we've, we've just believed and not really thought much about. And, um, you know, for the most part, I don't think these things are going to impact our salvation. They're not that significant. But, Lord, we do pray where we believe something other than your truth that um, that would be reconciled, that that would be resolved. And especially, Lord, I come right now on behalf of each and every one of us and asking you to reveal to us where our fears have kept us from embracing you, Lord Jesus, as our king. remove the misconceptions that we may have remove the clinging to the gifts that we so often desire more than Jesus if we're honest lord we want we want the gold so often more than we want you jesus Reveal that to us. We thank you that you are so kind and and gracious and merciful. Help us to just lay down our fears and to fully follow you. We ask it all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.